Well, for the last few Sundays leading up to Christmas, we've been looking at Christmas according to Matthew. Matthew contains none of the details that you heard when we read Luke's account of Christ's birth. Instead, he launches in chapter 2 into pieces of the story that we think we know a whole lot about, but somehow the details are not always exactly clear. For example, let me ask you this question. How many wise men were there? Uh, Yeah, you got gravel in your mouth, all right? Most people say what? Three. Three. Well, we don't know that. You may say, well, didn't didn't they bring three gifts? Doesn't that mean there's three wise men? Which I would say to you that my kids can testify that each and every year at Christmas, they get three gifts from me. That doesn't mean there's three of me, right? But Matthew does give us some details about the birth of Christ or after the birth of Christ that are intricate and matter, and we need to come to see how they bear on our lives. See, Luke's account includes Mary and Joseph, the shepherds tending sheep, angels announcing a crowded Bethlehem with no vacancy signs at the end, and the manger scene. Matthew didn't include any of those details. Instead, he jumps into something that we're not sure about when also. We're not sure about how this all occurred exactly at what time. We mash it all up together and we place the Magi at the manger scene, which the scripture doesn't tell us that. Many scholars believe that it was likely that this particular account in Matthew happened when Jesus was a toddler. So, no, Virginia, the wise men were not at the manger scene scene with the shepherds. We don't know exactly how many there were, and my manger scene, and likely yours, is just not accurate. And then there's the case of Rudolph, and we'll save that for another sermon, all right? (laughs) Matthew shows the reader something more. He shows us some deep things about the Christmas story, exposing things that we might not initially catch with our eye. Matthew wanted you to see that the birth of Jesus brought people to decisions, exposing different ways and how we respond to him and how you're going to view him. And once the truth about him is in front of you, what will you do with that truth? Now, I love Christmas. I love the Christmas season. I love the movies. I love the decorations. I love the food. I love the family gatherings. But Christmas is about so much more than that. In fact, Matthew's account, this scene causes us to ask a question like this one. Are there decisions to be made about Jesus? And there's a very personal question that is raised Is there a decision of a lifetime for you to be made when you look at this scene? Well, Matthew chapter 2 shows us different responses. And I want you to invite you to turn turn there, Matthew chapter 2. This is the first book in the New Testament, the gospel according to Matthew. And right in chapter 2, we're going to see that there are different responses. Look with me there in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, 
Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we came to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the priests, the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ child was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you come will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Three possible things that we see in this text that I want you to walk away with this morning, understanding that these responses are what happens to us not only then but today when encountering the truth about Jesus. And frankly, they're meant to stand in stark contrast one to the other. So let's look at them this morning. Number one, the first response that we see, we see it in in verse 2 and also down in verse 11, there is worship. Now, as the story unfolds, I want you to know there would not have been a more unlikely group of people to show up at this scene than the Magi. I'm going to pause there just for a second. Now, I know in a room this size, when you hear the word Magi, there are some of you who are familiar that that is not exactly the way you're supposed to say it. All right? In fact, the original language, Magi is probably accurate. But from Magi, we get the word magic, and we say in English what? Magic. So this morning, I'm going to say Magi, okay? So however you pronounce it, here's the reality. These guys, wise men, some referred them to kings. They were not kings. These were likely astrologers who... uh, Uh, who practice astronomy. They studied the stars. They observed them, and then they counseled with astrology. They served kings who were likely from Persia or from Babylon. They were considered in that day the cultural elite, usually the most educated men in the room. They were intellectuals of their day and of their country, and from a Jewish standpoint they would have been considered unclean, unwelcome. In fact, every, every time we see this root, M-A-G, mag, in the Old Testament, basically it is condemned. Matthew, when he wrote this, he knew this. The early readers knew it. But here they are. Why? Because God wanted us to see through Matthew, that this is actually what went down. These guys showed up, and he's going to tell it as it happened. And by happening, it actually tells you and me, it tells us something vitally important. And here it is. God draws people from all nations to see what he is doing so that they can see the truth. He draws all sexes, all colors, all sorts of political affiliation. He reaches toward people just like you. 
And if you happen to be inclined to be like the Jews who were rule keepers, I want you to know he reaches and draws people not at all like you. That's what God does. Now, seminary taught me several things. One thing it did teach me is a little bit about church history and the spread of Christianity and how it's been interpreted by sociologists. Since the 1960s, sociologists and some historians have painted that Christianity is a white Western religion. And the more modern a country would get, the less religious it would become. Communist-ruled countries that outlawed Bibles would be free from the white man's religion. Now, today, Christianity is growing so fast in China, Korea, Africa, and Latin America that, frankly, folks, if you saw the numbers, it would shock us how quickly the gospel is penetrating those cultures. The average Christian today is not a white Westerner. The more modern China gets, the more Christian it's becoming. In 1900 alone, in Africa, did you know that only about 9% of the population was Christian? And Muslims outnumbered Christians four to one. Today, Christians comprise more than 45% of that population. In China, at the present rate of growth, there will be more than 1.5 billion Chinese by mid-century, including Communist Party members right now. Right now. See, when Matthew recorded that the Magi was present there at the beginning, God was drawing and asking, where is he born king of the Jews? God is showing us that he draws people. He draws all sorts of people. From all walks of life, peasant and prince alike, they came and they found and in finding, they worshipped. And worship is not about just this service alone that we do on Sunday morning. Jesus said that those that worship God would do so, how? In spirit and in truth. God invites you to worship Him. God wants you to see that the birth of Jesus and his arrival, he is the one that's deserving of worship. Even among, for those of us, among us who know that we don't have it all together. Yes, the Magi, they were the cultural elite. God drew them. But if you know the story like we read in Luke, God draws shepherds who were considered outcasts in that day in a whole other way. See, God calls all walks of life, all people groups, he draws them. He calls them to know and worship King Jesus. And Christians gather and celebrate Christmas because we know that Jesus is a gift of what we ultimately need, a Savior. Born King who draws all who will trust him to know the beauty of right standing with God in his life, his death, and his resurrection. But see, the birth of Jesus is just that. It is the beginning. Born king, but it is the beginning of his redemption story for us. But worship is not the only response that we see in Matthew. There's another response. The second one 
that we see is indifference. Indifference. This is actually the opposite of worship. And it's found in this passage in one of the most ironic places. God's people here in this room, we need to hear this. It's found among the religious. Among the religious. Indifference can blossom in all kinds of places. I want us to consider this morning just a couple of spots where indifference can happen. First spot is this. Where life is complicated. You know, and when I say complicated, I'm not talking about everybody's life's busy. All of our lives busy to some degree. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that part of you when someone asks you, how are you doing? How's work going? How's your family going? How's this, that, or the other going? And your response deep down inside, you want to say, well, it's kind of complicated. This is the life that is full of crisis of one degree or the other. It's kind of chaotic. Even when what is actually a crisis becomes confusing to us. It's hard to distinguish what actually is complicated. Because we worry about just about everything. Now Herod, when we look at this story, Herod asked the religious leaders of his day, his guys, he says, where is the Messiah to be born? These leaders knew something about Herod that you may not know, but here's the truth. Herod was not born a Jew. And the power that this religious group had was granted by his appointment. He was, he was the guy that said, you, 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 you're going to serve me. You're going to represent me to the Jewish people. Now, here's something also about Herod that we should all know. This guy was ruthless and violent. He was willing to do anything to protect his throne. And it could be that the religious leaders here, they're just trying to be careful. All right? Willing to do... uh, Uh, to give him what they're looking for. But here's what we do know. And I know that there is some conjecture here. But I'm going from what not only I see in the text, but from what I do not see in this text. They took it no further. They reported to him when he says, where is he to be born? Where is this king to be born? And they say, in Bethlehem. And after that, we see in the text... They do nothing. They go back to life in their own business, minding their own business, doing their own thing. Now, when your life gets complicated, one of the things that happens to us is there is a tendency and a temptation in all of us to set aside the things of God and become indifferent to those things because other things seem so pressing. Indifference can bleed out of that. Second place is where life is comfortable. Indifference can grow where life is comfortable. It grows really well when we find ourselves actually at our most comfortable state. When need goes unrecognized in our life, we usually take zero action. The religious leaders we see here What we do know is they don't follow the Magi to see what they've discerned, which was from the book of Micah in the Old Testament, which pointed to the Messiah. 
he would be born in Bethlehem about five or six miles away from where they stood in that moment. Their response is just, yeah, this is what the text says. This is what you should know. And let's, by the way, I got places to be. Here's why this is so dangerous. Here's what I want you to see. Pay careful attention. We tend to think, especially in America, we typically think a comfortable life is an indication of a blessed life by God. So we get comfortable with a little bit of religion. We view God as our helper, my helper. So you give him a little trip to church or community group, if you feel like it. A little prayer before a meal, a little Bible reading, when you don't have something better to do. Worship and indifference are polar opposites. But here's what you should always see. They are related. Because it is not a matter of whether you will worship. Because when you are not worshiping God, it's not a matter that you are not worshiping Him. It's a matter of what you will worship, which will be almost anything you dream up. It's what we do. We exalt people. We exalt experiences that never really fully satisfy us. So we just keep on looking. While the king of kings is nearby. For the Jews in that day, five miles away. For us, he's ever present. He's as near as the Bible that you hold in your lap. He can satisfy the deepest need and the longing of your heart. He's ready to do that. I want you to see a third thing. Third response, third decision. Here it is. The third one is hostility. Look at the text. The Magi say this. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now on the surface, this can be missed. But for King Herod, this statement, frankly, and this question in it is troubling. And hear this. When this king is troubled, he gets unhappy. And when the king is unhappy... Ain't nobody going to be happy, all right? Both the arrival of the Magi and the response of the king to what was said, it sent shockwaves, the text says here, it sent shockwaves through Jerusalem. All of Jerusalem troubled. Now, Herod was a strong leader, and he was considered a stabilizing force in that area that was controlled by Rome. But hear this, Herod, being not a Jew by birth, For many, he was accurately seen as a usurper to the throne. And as I said, his ruthlessness led him to murder. He killed his Jewish wife, murdered two of his sons. This announcement by these visiting dignitaries, it was more than news. Do you know what it was? It was a threat. It was a threat. So here's what I want you to see. You may be sitting here this morning, and you know I'm not interested in murdering Jesus, Brian. What are you talking about? I'm not interested in murdering him, as as Herod sought to do. In fact, you might be intrigued or interested about Christ. 
You welcome the idea of the Christ child in the manger, the animals, the shepherds, the wise men. You actually, when seeing these scenes, you get the warm and fuzzies about it. What you may not see is this announcement by these wise men. Here's the reality. For those of you who play chess, the chess board is set and it is already in checkmate. Jesus will not one day be king. He is king, born king. And not just for the Jews, not just for the religious people. The Magi's presence indicates that the doorway to knowing the true king is thrown open to everyone. You can know him and his his kingdom will reach to every domain of your life, every piece of your existence. So I must ask you, who is king or queen of your castle? Who makes the rules for your life? Who influences most what is occurring in your day to day? Is it the true King Jesus? Or is there someone else on the throne of your life? Now, many people, we don't go around articulating it, but if Jesus is not on the throne of your life, someone else is. And that someone is likely you. Matthew tells us that Herod intended to do something about that because it was a threat. He intended to kill Jesus. And he took steps to carry it out, which may make you think, well, I might not be the most religious person in the world, Brian, but I'm no murderer. And I would say to you, Praise God. Congratulations that you've not carried it out. But Jesus said something else about murder that every one of us needs to see. And not just murder, but all kinds of things. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, theft, lying, slander. These are what defile the person. It's what's going on in the heart. Don't miss it. Worship, indifference, hostility, they flow from the center of you. They flow from your heart. The heart is your relational, your motivational center of your existence. The deep motivation of what you do or what you think that leads you to action on a day-to-day basis. You might not want to kill Jesus. But what you might also really want is for him just to kind of leave you alone and you take little pieces of him when you want him. You want to live self-directed. But know this, when you look at this Christmas story, when you look at the gospel writer's account of his life, his death and resurrection, I want you all to see and understand Jesus comes for all of you. He comes for every piece of your life. He is, he, his birth heralded that the king of all creation, this babe born in a remote corner of the world, apart from what we, what we typically think is impressive, apart from fame, power, prestige, apart from all of that, none of that was part of his arrival. It's also not part of his life, his death. And here's the reason why. Because Christ came to seek and to save. 
He came for you. He came for people from every corner of the world. Even right here in Florence, Kentucky, he comes for you. He comes to find you. See, the birth of Jesus forces ultimate decisions actually upon all, upon all of us. Ignore him and what we typically will do will fill our life, will fill Christmas, will fill every piece of our existence with what we deem as important and what we see as ultimate. And there are other important things, no question. Or we might respond with hostility. Because in his death and resurrection, Christ calls you to surrender the throne of your life. He is not asking for your mental assent. He's asking for your life. He's asking for your complete trust. For you to know the true knowledge of your true nature. And that you need a Savior. You need a Savior. God's love, forgiveness, and new life awaits. And it will answer the deepest longing of your heart. And then there's worship, which we gathered to do today, but not just today, but in every breath that God grants us. For God told us that the Messiah would bring much to us, even from Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before, which was a part of a song that we sang. But Isaiah 9, 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yes, there is a decision of a lifetime. And it's yours to make. The Prince of Peace, he awaits to grant you peace and joy. This day... For all that will trust him as Christ, trust in Christ as their Savior. Now, here's something I want you to remember as we ponder this this morning. I don't know everyone's background in this room, but I do know this. I do know that we have a tendency to think, would Christ want me? Does he see me? In the midst of my mess, my decisions, the messes that I've made, the messes that have been thrust upon me, does Christ see me? Remember this. It was not the religious crowd that first saw Jesus for who he was. It was the people who were the most learned also in that day. Because I know in a room like this, we have people who feel marginalized, ignored. We also have folks sitting in this room. Much good has happened in your life. God's given you a big brain. You've had influence. God came for you too. Just look at the Magi. Here they come. Both groups and everything in between. You may be here and wondering, would God reveal himself to me? Could actually change me? Is there hope that Jesus gives that are found in no other place. I have a simple answer to you, for you, this morning. It's one word. The answer is yes. You may be a part of this late, latest Pew Research project that showed about 30% of the population in America would consider themselves none, meaning they don't have a religious affiliation. 
You might see yourself there. Does Jesus have answer for the person who sits here this morning and says, I just don't know. I, am, I don't know. The answer is yes. Christ comes for you. Christ comes to reveal himself to you. His death and resurrection is the only hope for cleansing from sin and right standing with God. Oh, today, make it the day that you trust him. See, the meaning of Christmas is that what God gives you, what is good and precious right now in your life, that need never be lost. But what is evil and misguided and indifferent can be changed. Jesus comes for you. He will save those who call on him and who will worship him as their Savior King. Today is your day to put your trust in him. Would you pray with me? Sovereign God, you open eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. You grant not only the ability to see new, but to see the beauty that's in Christ. And all that ultimately matters, O oh Lord, show us it's found in him. May the light of Christ be known. To see that the king is born, who seeks and saves the lost and the hurting. Do you draw people today, people in this room, to know Christ as Savior, to trust him fully, to know right standing with you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.